podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Okay, welcome to the Whistleblowers. Uh, we're into December now. Uh, match day 11 of 38, I think it is, as, a, as I'm just looking at the Premier League website. Um, the lads are back on. Mark Smith. Great to have yes, you. Yes, hello, yeah. So just to want to sort of point out, we were actually in December uh, last podcast as well. Oh, uh, were we? I think. Yeah, we were so, actually, weren't we? Might have been. It's that case. Yeah, either way, no, I'm good though. Thanks, thanks for having me back on. Uh, always smudger. a pleasure to be on here. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks, By the way, this, this this sound, this sound, it's not a beer. It's actually a, a soft drink. Uh, just what soft know. drink is it? But, just see how quick you can answer. Uh, Carabao. Carabao. <laughs> 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 and that brings us nicely on to our other regular guest, Gareth Dobson. Gareth, I should call you our third host, really. I think we're moving into that territory, mate. It's great oh. to have you back. Hi. I'm just staring at the league table like a magical Christmas snow globe. <laughs> I and why would that be, Gareth? Hey, you know what? I'm just really keen to see how uh, how Le- how Southampton are getting on. Listen, talk us through it. I mean, perfect place to start, mate. I just you are you are sat atop above Liverpool, which must be. Quite Does this pleasing. feel real, Gareth? Does it feel like yeah. it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna happen? Do you actually think uh, it's gonna happen? No, of course not. I'm a Spurs fan, but um, I do think that it'll go for a while. Uh, my my biggest, I was thinking about this today. I, I do think that um, even though Spurs have got a fairly big squad, they've got an older squad, and I think there's going to be a couple of younger, fitter groups of players who are going to push on. I mean, as well as the fact that Harry Kane's obviously going to get injured in February for what six to eight weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, that's oh, so weeks. good. Him and Son. I've just literally. I know it's the he's the the hottest take ever, but my God, what, what a pair of players to have that are just so, um, on the synergy between the two of them must be just, just absolutely a, a joy to watch as a Spurs fan. Well, Joe, Jose must feel like he's just absolutely lucked out, mustn't he? 100%. I mean, he's got these two players in their primes. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely perfect. It's, it's the perfect storm. And, and he, he's lucked out to the point where Son has become, you know, arguably, you know, Spurs' best player. You know, you could, push the envelope and say he's a world-class player now and at the same time he's coming to the team at the point where Kane is happy to sort of adapt his game and, and to play provide as much as goal scoring you know they, they really are dovetailing as they like to say nicely I, I guess one question without going too off piece is what's what was the last great uh Premier League strike force as good as these two oh that's a good Ooh. question that's a really good. I'm, I'm going to remove the trio because you can obviously go with the the, the Liverpool three. And, you know, they're amazing, but in terms of like so you a, want a traditional strike force, yeah, a partnership. Yeah, I mean, I I, 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 I always think of uh, the '90s: Shearer, Sutton, and York and Cole. Yes. but there must be someone since then who's Per Camp Henry. Camp Henry, yeah. 
I think actually the way that Gerard played when Torres was there was more of a ten. I think maybe you could uh, you could maybe stretch yeah, it a little good. bit and uh, Kane probably plays deeper than Gerard did at that point. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I like the partnerships when Sheringham would also be added to so like Sheringham, Cole, and and Patty Berbatov. Berbatov played with some great strikers, didn't he? He was a real. But, but it's that unselfishness about Harry Kane that I, I like. It's a footballing intelligence that you know when you're watching and you're like, make this decision, make that decision. It's like playing a game of FIFA if you were the perfect player and just knowing he does the right things at the right time. It's incredibly hard to do that at, at match tempo. Yeah. On that point, I remember um, I read an article. This is during the summer when when the whole Messi to Man City thing was going on, and I think. Oh, Mark, we lost you. It was about how Pep would watch Lionel Messi on tape when he was at Barcelona, and he said, "What he'd do was every time Messi got the ball and he was watching it on video, he'd pause it." And he'd make a decision. He'd say, right, what should Messi do in this situation? Should he come short for the ball? Should he run with it? Should he go into space? Should he lay it off? Whatever. And he says every time he paused it, studied it, worked out what he should do, he'd press play, and bang, Messi would do it. <laughs> Messi would do so the exact right really thing every oh, single time. And he was saying that you know, Pep's, got, Pep's, got, Pep's <laughs> yeah, hanging out in, his, in the comfort of his own room with a beer on the go. He can make a decision. He's got as much time as he wants. Messi is there in the heat of battle against you know, two or three massive La Liga centre-backs, and he's still picking the right, the right decisions. And that is what Harry Kane's doing at the moment. He's hit this mad sort of purple patch where everything he does is literally perfect. He plays a simple ball to Son at the weekend, turns into an assist. I mean, who, th- who thought that was going to happen? The simplicity, okay. the simplicity of their attacking. This is the thing that I think works for Jose's team as well, because Jose doesn't like to overcomplicate things going forward. I mean, Gareth, uh, to pull out a snap, if you're looking at the league table, goals against. I mean, it's incredible. We've only conceded nine goals. You know, it's, it's so unexpected, especially because, you know, a third of those were only, you know, four or five games ago against West Ham. Um, and since then, you know, Spurs haven't conceded a goal in the last three games, which were against Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea, which wow. you know, I don't, you know, the idea of Spurs being that defensively solid traditionally doesn't really uh, compute, but also, you know, compared to even where they were at the start of the season when they looked like a mess and people were lamenting, you know, the lack of pace at centre-back, the fact that, you know, they lost for Vertonghen and, you know, they hadn't replaced him adequately. And then suddenly, you know, Eric Dyer has played his way into looking like a real centre-back again. And, you know, uh, Toby Alvareld is... Suddenly, having you know that sort of that autumn of his career that you know you always hoped he might have. Uh, lovely stuff, Mark. Mark coming down as the devil's advocate. Arsenal. I mean, when Gareth talks about last three opponents for Spurs, Arsenal was the easy one out of the three. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I don't know what to say about Arsenal. I, I think I mentioned it last week. They're the most boring Arsenal team I can remember. Um, I feel like Arteta, and I hate this phrase, but I feel like he's just been found out quite early on in his Arsenal career. And this 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 downturn in fortune has happened pretty quickly because it really isn't long ago they were winning the FA Cup and you know being great against Man City and great against all the sort of traditional big boys. And now I watch them and Aubameyang looks lost. They, they don't seem to be able to work him into the game at all. Uh, Thomas Partey's come on, uh, come in, and I think he will be an excellent player. He's, he's a brilliant footballer, but he's must he must be thinking at the moment. Atletico Madrid, where I've just left, are top of the league, <laughs> yeah. and they have got a real shot at winning the title for the first time in a while. 
and he's gone to Arsenal, and they're fifteenth. I think they're fifteenth, and they don't look out of place at fifteenth. It, it doesn't feel like oh, you know, they've been unlucky. They should be fifth or third or you know whatever. It yeah. feels like yeah, they are probably about as good as as the teams they're playing against. The the game a few weeks ago, and it is again only a few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, against United at Old Trafford that they won one nil. That wasn't. It wasn't great stuff. They won with a penalty. They didn't really create anything. United could have scored two or three. But again, it's that Arsenal thing of something quite good happens. So let's absolutely rev it up to the nth degree. And now let's claim that Arteta is the second coming and that Thomas Partey is Vieira. It's like, all right, lads, just relax. Give your players a bit of breathing space. And then they can't let you down as badly because you don't expect so much. Yeah, It's just just at that club at the minute, it just feels like... No one's really on the same page. Um, the Ozil situation is just sort of hovering there, like this sort of spectre, really this shadowy yeah. sort of thing in the background. And and every time it goes wrong, and this is only Twitter, and Twitter doesn't count, but every time it goes wrong, you will see a million tweets about Ozil. And it does make you think, actually, yeah, what, try and get him involved. And I know the reason he's there, he's not there, isn't necessarily football reasons. There's other things going on. But... That must undermine your manager at some point, who's already struggling. Yeah, there's there's another thing with the Oxford situation is is like there's, he can't win either as a player. If he comes in no. and he's not, if if he doesn't have an immediate impact, and then as soon as he has a mediocre performance, I mean, you know, I think we we talked about it last week. That situation should have been dealt with. Um, and the, the the dressing room, you feel as though those players haven't been Arsenal players long enough to be iconic, you know, in the same way as the previous generations of players. So you've got, you've got Bahama Yang, Lacazette, guys that have kind of clearly got the talent, but have not yet established themselves. So they've got half an eye leaving and you can sense that as a fan and as, um, as a neutral, even watching them. But yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to go on a ridiculous run, uh, but interestingly, Absolutely. Enough, yeah. And, and, and you know, can can't, can't do any worse now. I, I, I one of my old teammates of a club I played for, he was a he was a coach uh, under Arteta, and he didn't have particularly nice words to say about him. Said he was quite a cold cold fish, and the kind of serious nature that he's. I did I didn't wait till they were doing this bad to bring up, but just just interesting <laughs> that his feedback was was that Arteta isn't someone that you necessarily warm to, and you get the feeling that he's gone in and no. implemented a few things at Arsenal that he's now got to stick to. I remember someone saying, they said, when Villas Boas was at Chelsea, he did the same thing. He went in and said, these are my rules and I'm not going to change those. Unfortunately, if you go in with that mentality, then you have to you have to maintain it against some very strong characters and, and sooner or later, you're going to be on the wrong side of that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's more a case of that. But, but Gareth, um, certainly a, a time to be enjoying being a Spurs fan over an Arsenal one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice, uh, obviously. But it's, it does seem to me this is the first time that there's been such an appreciable gap between the two teams. Um, even when you're know, under Pochettino and, and, and Spurs were flying, Arsenal were never far away. And right now there, there really does, does feel like a, a chasm. Well, uh, let's move on to the, the first game, the first game that had fans, the first Premier League, the match that had fans. I was lucky enough to be there. West Ham versus Man United uh, at London Stadium in the evening, Saturday kickoff. Um, Mark, did you watch that? Did you watch any football this weekend? <laughs> uh, this is this is this some sort of in joke now that yeah, I watched yeah, the yeah, game? Yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. humiliating. No, I didn't. I've not seen any of the games this season. <laughs> I've been blagging it throughout. The, I mean, most, most listeners will know this. I've been blagging it. I don't know anything. 
<laughs> yeah, of course I watched the game. And I watched your little your little text you sent to me with a picture of you and pitch side. Yeah. Furious well, I was. I wanted to go yeah. to that. Um looked great. Looked great. And for that first half, um, you know, West Ham were pretty good. They were they were it just felt great to have a home team do well in in, in, in front of actual fans and I really I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um in terms of the game itself, I thought it was <laughs> Not even a game of two halves. It was sort of a game of three thirds. Uh, <laughs> West Ham were very good for the first two thirds, and United were not. And then that final third, they just stepped it up and blew them away. And that's the thing with this United side; they're not great. Although, remarkably, I read this the other day. I'm sure you both read it as well. They've accrued the most amount of points in the league since they signed Bruno, um, which is unbelievable. So they are top of the league. Had the league started in whenever it was February, March. Wow. Um, so they are quite consistent, actually. Um, but they feel like that sort of side that probably won't win the league, but could do well in the Cups, even the Champions League. They, they, they can beat any team in the world, I think, on their day. But equally, they can lose to anyone as well. Um, but it makes it exciting. And the three goals they scored were absolutely brilliant. Yep, absolutely. Gareth, did you, did you catch the game? I did. It, it, was a, it was a really, you know, it was a really good game. And it was, um, it didn't look inevitable that Manchester were going to win. I, I thought West Ham had continued to, make a really good account of themselves in, in the last couple of months. And there, there was a point in the game where it was like, I, I think West Ham have got this. This is Moyes' revenge, finally. He's he's finally going to put one over, you know, the team that almost sort of crushed his career. But um, the, Solskjaer seems to have this, this fantastic ability to pick the right substitutes and bring the right players on. And, you know, that question, you, you can have it one of two ways. One is, well, that that's a great, trait to have and the other one is well why can't you pick the right team to start because it never seems to go well um but you know obviously when uh, rashford and bruno came on two players he said he was trying to protect who were carrying you know across to some fatigue and injury but you know as soon as uh, bruno fernandez came in as like you were saying mark he just showed the difference he's you know this year as in you know the, the calendar year since he's been at Manchester United, he, he's just been sensational it's you know, I, I'm not yeah. even sure if there's any sort of comparative impact of of any other sort of player this this year. No, I can't, I really can't think of one. I can't think of one in the entire time of watching football. Someone who's come in and had this effect. United were absolutely gone just before he signed. I think they just lost at home. Um, I can't think of who it was to. They just lost at home, maybe to Burnley, mm. and they look bereft of ideas. And he's come in. He's just been that guy who who gets them together in the dressing room, but also. He's just positive. He just looks forward. Every every pass he makes is generally forward. Okay, he loses the ball a lot. Who cares? You will lose the ball a lot if you're trying to do stuff. Um, can we talk very quickly, though, about Pogba? Because, so just to let listeners know, we're recording this before the United-Leipzig game. So we don't know the outcome of that Champions League game. Um, but Paul Pogba's agent came out yesterday and said that he's no longer going to be a player at the club. They're going to try and go uh, somewhere else in January. Um, and if not, it'll be in the summer. Chris, as an ex-pro, I mean, what do you think of this? Do you, is this is this Paul Pogba being doing a bit of shit housing? Is this the agent being awful? What is it? What's happening here? And what you, would you do if you were United? That shows the power that the agent has over a player. Um, you know, players. You got to remember, these are just young lads that have gone in, no matter what they're in, you know, what they've been thrust into. I mean, he must be a little bit confused about his career at the minute. Just out, slightly faulted after the World Cup win, but. If I was, who does this benefit? There's only one person that benefits, the agent. Because if he goes for no fee, 
that I'm sure he can negotiate something, but he'll negotiate a cut of the fee and a cut of the contract when he renegotiates. So his cut will go from five million to forty million, you know. So because essentially he'll yeah. be he'll be you know the both sides of the the um, deal. I just I just don't know how Paul lets him get away with this without any sort of check because again the timing of it you know you're sat with the rest of your squad this this you know I, I don't know how that the that that mentality we taken into the game but certainly before such an important game for them it's just uh, I, I think it's quite disrespectful and also yes. you know it's, it's it's a bit tone death on Tef on how well Pog was doing because he doesn't really have the leverage to to make this these kind of claims I was other than say yeah. um in, in terms of Mini Raiola, I, I was genuinely impressed at how nakedly opportunistic he was. Like, Pogba has, you know, not been seen for a month and has done absolutely nothing. He scores one, you know, very good goal and has a yes. half-decent game. And then literally hours later, his agent's like, yeah, he's off. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And he, but this so must be part of the plan, right? This must be their plan. He, he must be doing this to cause, and I'm talking about Raiola here rather than Pogba himself. I've, not, I've no idea what Pogba's up to, right? None of us do, really. But the agent is the one being... Uh, going public with these sorts of things. It must be his plan to disrupt and upset people because then the backlash forces Pogba to realise, oh my God, yeah, it is me and my agent against the world. Look how nasty they're being. Oh, absolutely. And the agent can yeah. be like, yeah, look, you come with me, you're safe with me. They're all horrible out there. Stick with me and I'll do the X, Y, and Z. But actually, mm. you know, we're distant enough from it that we can see that it probably damages Pogba's reputation. Certainly clubs... You know, you know, Ferguson didn't want to deal with Raiola at all, but there's other clubs, including uh, Lampard's mentioned Raiola at, at Chelsea. They don't really want to deal with him. Uh, so he's got this stable of brilliant clients who might find it harder. They won't find it impossible, of course, but they might find it harder to go to the club they want to go to. And it's going to take a, a club to say, of course we want to sign Haaland, for example, but we're not going to do it unless he moves agent. And if that means we don't get Haaland, so be it. And I just wonder if that's ever going to happen. Well, you, you, I think it's it's very likely that you'll get a, an agreement across the board if if they need to sanction um, agents or, or need to keep them in check that you'll get clubs band, that band together over it because there there is yeah, too much yeah. power with with like Mendes and basically that clubs like Man United set the agenda I think because they're the ones spending the money so um, by Woodward showing any sort of weakness towards agents that's it it's, it's open season like if i was a, if i was a, a player i'd be like you know I, we talk about the damage it did to pogba's reputation yeah but you know what i think Raola and will will we'll lay it out in front of him and say this is how much money you can earn over your career what are you going to do after it yeah, like, do you yeah. want to be able to retire and it's like but, these are the fundamentals like how do we go about this and it's legacy unfortunately is almost just a byproduct it's you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I certainly look I was just thinking about that the other day about you know the France like to be a real legend say like Zidane um, not I wasn't thinking about my own career I was thinking about you know just actual mm -hmm. players but like say Zidane's is two goals that he scores in the World Cup final and, and and then you look at Pogba and I was thinking about the tracking it through and how how players look back at their careers if they're the greats and you would hope that they didn't gauge it in money you know but unfortunately Pogba's very much of that generation that that seems to everything's about um you know what number you put next to it yeah maybe a couple of things on this as well though first of all I don't know where Pogba can go, actually. There's not many clubs that can afford him. 
Um, I think PSG is probably the most likely place. Real will want to sign Mbappe and they can't afford both. Barcelona, it turns out, haven't got any money at all. Uh, maybe Juve, but I'm not sure what they're looking like financially. Um, but the, the, the baller move, the sort of proper big dog energy move would be for Man United just to go, you know what? We'll pay you 350 grand a week still. You can just stay in the reserves. We're not going to. We're not going to stand for this. You know, if Arsenal can afford to do that with Ozil, United can definitely afford to do it with Pogba. <laughs> and it sends an incredibly clear message to the rest of the football world that we're not going to be bent over like this for for agents anymore. It won't happen. Obviously, it doesn't make any sense for it to happen financially. But it would be the move to do. I think. Yeah. Well, unless you draw a line, you just say something like, you know, you can go to you can go to the MLS, you can go to China. You know, that seems to be a nice way out uh, that everyone seems to agree on these days. But yeah, but, I, but he's too young for that. And I think he's still a oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't think, yeah, he's not he's not going to do like an Oscar, is he? And go over there at 27 or whatever. Well, it, if we talk about agents, it's, an, it's the, a, an amazing contrast with the way that Rock Nation have dealt with um, Rashford as opposed to how Viola's dealt with him in a, in a much more... Uh, like kind of holistic way about a PR approach, marketing approach, and tapping into things that Marcus is actually interested in supporting and, and leading. Well, this is why I don't really, a minute ago, Grits, you said that this generation of players put a number next to what they've done in their careers. No, no, I no, think no. there's I, a generation said, just Pogba's, below Pogba. Yeah. I said Pogba's. Yeah, sorry. Player. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I certainly don't think that's, uh, that's, that's the same for everyone. But yeah, no, listen, no. I, I'd say Rashford, the fact the guy's from Manchester, he's played, I mean, I remember when Pogba left United and how pissed off Ferguson was then. I mean, imagine Rashford just wouldn't do that. I just can't imagine him playing anywhere else at, at the minute. And obviously that's, you know, we've got to take a lot of things into consideration, but it's interesting when you get that sort of um, synergy between club and, you know, the, the kids' history there and the fact that everyone, I mean, how do you unify Premier League fans on your side, you know? So, uh, fair play to him. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. All right, welcome back, gents. Uh, Liverpool, uh, Mark, did you see that one? <laughs> Sorry, it's getting boring it's now. Isn't it? I mean, oh, is, is look, it? I'll just rattle through the Liverpool because, again, 4 0 at a canter. I mean, they're, they're so good. They're so good. They're so good. I mean,. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is my problem, Gareth. This is my problem for Spurs, is that Spurs are all full strength and, and playing great and winning. Liverpool are not at full strength at all and are blowing away teams like Wolves, who are very solid at the back. They're making Conor Cody look like he's haunted. Not many teams do that. <laughs> <laughs> this is try. It, it is quite uh, chastening. In theory, this was their vulnerable period. This is where yeah, they're playing 
you know, sort of reserve team young Irish goalkeepers and you know, they have back <laughs> they have back fours made up of midfielders. Um and it doesn't seem to matter. Um, you know, they are they're so cohesive and so well drilled and you know, the big thing is that their attacking lineup has, has remained untouched by by too much chaos or, or injury and, and that's what's really you know, to go and beat Wolves four nil, you know, with with half a team still still out on the benches is I mean, it's ridiculously impressive. And like you said, dispatching you know, Leicester and Wolves and, and teams that count, teams that would have looked at the situation and gone, you know, let's go get a point here at least. Let's really take something off them. And, you know, so the theory is in, in a few weeks when Liverpool uh, you know, have, have a bigger collection of players back, then who on earth is going to stop them? And also, you, you look at the, the layoff they've got at the minute, all right, Trent's coming back. He came on as sub against Wolves. But they've got a lot of players yet to come back. Well, this is their next few games. One, two, three, four, five, six games coming up. By the end of this, they'll have most of their squad back. And it's fallen pretty well. So they've got Mitchell in the Champions League. Fine. Fulham away. Okay. That should be a gimme. Spurs at home is now absolutely enormous. Biggest game of the season so far. Yeah. But then after that, Palace away, West Brom at home, Newcastle away. But with the exception of the Spurs game there, you can't see them dropping a point. And then they're going to have the players back. So they could be six points clear and and then the cavalry arrive. I mean, it's it's sort of terrifying. Yeah, it's very true. I think the the Christmas period feels like it's going to be particularly important this year. Um, yeah. There's going to be one or two teams who, you know, pick up maximum points or close close to and then we're going to get to that FA Cup break in January and I think the league table is going to start to really crystallise. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, traditionally, it's always been Christmas where people start to get injuries and, mm. you know, players look dead on their feet. But I think doubly so this year. So, I mean, it, it might be. I'm, I'm saying now that Liverpool get all their players back, fine. But they're probably going to pick up more injuries in that time, like everyone will. So hopefully it's not to their key players. But, well, maybe for you, you do hope that. But generally speaking, you don't want that to happen. So, I don't know. I I, I want, I, I would prefer Spurs to win it because they haven't won it before. Um, and, of course, you, Gareth. Um, but I just can't see past Liverpool, man. I just can't see past them. I know Grits, you're going to say, ah, oh, look at Man City, they're going to win it easily. But, uh, but you're wrong, well, Martin. Well, it, it's interesting when the game will come down to, it will come down to the games between these teams. You're absolutely right when you said that Liverpool Spurs being the biggest game of the season so far. Interesting to see how uh, Jose approaches it because that's how he has won leagues before being not the best team. You know, that's how he's did it, did it into Milan. That's how he's won titles and, and various trophies and cups, you know, all across his career. But they're not necessarily always being the best team by, by, by coming up with a, a, a strategy. So that would be interesting. But then for Liverpool, Wijnaldum, Matip on the goal scoring sheet. I mean, that's incredible. The fact that that sort of invincibility that you had, at this sick, again, go back to the United teams like Ryan Ferguson. But personnel come in and out and they come in with such enthusiasm and they can fit in the system and it doesn't really matter does it that you know the result is almost inevitable but they're, they're, just, they're so well drilled they can all slot in it's just great and it yep. reminds me of that sort of late period with uh, Ferguson when he was winning the titles and he was playing you know combinations like Veron and Phil Neville midfield and you know Eric Gemba <laughs> and you know, Raphael and Raphael and you're just like yeah literally Raphael says with you like you have no idea how he's doing and you realise that the players were just so attuned to going out and winning. You know, there was yeah. no excuses. Like, well, that's the eleven. Okay, so we'll go win. Um, yeah. And yeah. Well, this, like this, this, this that period. 
It does. You're right. The, the story goes that the reason Pogba left United in the first place was that they were playing, I think, at home to Blackburn. And he thought he'd get his start. And instead they picked, I think it was Phil Jones and Raphael centre mid. Yeah. And Pogba was like, nah, see you later then. <laughs> they should have kept on uh, playing him, man. They should have get him in it. now. <laughs> but, uh, going back to the title race, I, I'd say my dark horse is to, not so dark, but dark in terms of actually going really close at Chelsea and my theory is purely they have as well as a fantastic first 11 and deep squad they are all pretty much so young um they have the legs and 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 the lungs to run for days and I do think that that might end up counting for a lot Um, well let's let's talk about it guys because they got exactly they've mirrored the form of Spurs but you wouldn't say that Chelsea I mean it's funny it's funny the way that it's shaped in your mind isn't it because I suppose it spans cup games um, Champions League and various other things but yeah no Chelsea Chelsea in great form at the minute and a lot of players that are perhaps finding their feet yeah I think so the yeah it, it does seem a little bit on the quiet they haven't really been there hasn't been like the statement win you know the draw against Spurs was a very sort of tepid affair by both teams and even that uh, victory over Arsenal was very sort of run of the mill um, but they do look like they're stepping up and you know getting increasingly better obviously the, the defensive issues seem to have been um, you know shored up a little bit I think Lampard's sort of taking that into consideration with the way his team's play and the way he's got them set up and I think you know a really huge one is having Pulisic back again you know he's had a rough 2020 with injuries mm-hmm. um, I think he's you know a genuine sort of game changer I think he's as good as any of their attackers he may be the best one, and you know, as soon as he came on as a you know as an early substitute uh, this weekend, he you know he had such an impact. And he's such a good player, huge impact. They have huge got imp- they have got so so many options and so much quality um, in the forward areas, particularly out wide. You're right about Pulisic. He 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 was unbelievable last season, back end of last season, and now he's getting minutes in the legs after his injury. He just looks unbelievable again. And you're right, it probably is the best one of the lot. And that is saying that is saying something because they've got so much ability up there. I love watching this Chelsea side. I would yeah. worry about what happens when, you know, 140-year-old Thiago Silva gets a muscle injury, which will happen at some point because he has been fantastic there organizing and getting them all corralled and just working, working them through games, essentially, at the back. Um, but all their signings have been really, really great, and I, I really like watching them. Havertz has taken a bit of time. I'm sure he'll come good. Uh, they've got some games coming up, though. They're, they've got Everton away, Wolves away, and end of the month they got uh, away at Arsenal and home to Villa, who are absolute dark horses. Um, but they're just great to watch, and, and you, you know they're going to score goals. They're always going to be able to score goals. When they decide to shore it up, all right, maybe it dries up a little bit up front, but they're then very solid, and they can if they can not lose to the teams around them, and then win everything else. They've got a great shot. Plus, Grits, this is our chance now to talk about Olivier Giroud. He is... is him he? and Will Hughes, I think, are the two guys we talk about most on this show. <laughs> oh, <but laughs> I think I maybe mean... Jack Grealish now as well. But oh, Giroud, he went to, they went to Sevilla and he scored four goals. I know. Insane. It's Why just, wasn't it, that the first thing we said at the podcast? Uh, incredible, because we, we're Premier League, mate. We're not focused on that. But, um, I know. You know come on. It's, break, it's Brexit era. It's Brexit era whistleblowers, mate. Let's let's focus on what we know. So, uh, as um, yeah, pop culture kids like to say, uh, Olivier Giroud is inevitable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they say he's clear. Giroud is clear. He's inevitable. Yeah, no, Giroud, uh, impressive. I think, has he got his hair done before the game on Saturday as well? Because I can imagine him scoring those four and going, 
I'm going to get a lot of press. So I best go and get a fresh trim. And then just, you I reckon know. he said, I'm only going to get a haircut once I score four in a match. <laughs> it's goes well, really slowly, so you never noticed. I know, he was, he was really impressive. Uh, interesting, you say that about Chelsea and the different options. He's the perfect option for, well, he's what a lot of teams are crying out for, isn't it? But, uh, big man down the middle, uh, particularly if they're putting the quality of balls that Reese James and Chilwell put in. Um, I think you've got you've got an opportunity as well as a back four to set, like a that's a legacy back four. I mean, they've got rid of you know, Azpilicueta, who was... Uh, one of the best Chelsea players for the last few years. Uh, but you've yeah. got, you know, Zuma, who's really established himself, Rhys James, but uh, Chilwell, I think, is superb. I think, you know, and Thiago Silva could be the, you know, the interchangeable one that, that always would slot in beside Ferdinand. Another um, our Man United references today, but basically that, yeah. the, the, when you can start to name the team week in, week out, that's when you know they're, they're creating something and Gareth bang on about the, the, the young legs and that side, because that, compared to the teams around them, that could be a really big thing coming the end of the season. I think so. And it should be noted, Kurt Zuma, a top scorer for Chelsea in the league with four goals, which is uh, quite impressive for a centre-back, but also I think does speak to how they're sharing out the goals around, around the team. Um, You know, Timo Werner's not been full pelt yet in the Premier League. He's, he's scored a bunch of goals in, in the other competitions, but you know, if he does, you know, kind of, hit the form he had for Leipzig at some point in the season and it's going to be you know it's going to be worrying for everyone else can we talk about that miss yeah I'd love to is it, <laughs> is it the worst ever miss you've ever seen I think no. the fact that he not only missed it but actively stopped a goal because it was going in Giroud our boy it was going in yeah. but I, I was less than a yard out it's not because you know the balls are sort of shin high He's not facing directly at goal. The worst miss still for me is, you know, is Ronnie Rosenthal sort well, of back in the Premier League when, you know, he's dead on central in the goal. He just needs to, you know, just kick it. Yes, if Ronnie Rosenthal doesn't do anything, it doesn't go in. It, if, if Werner doesn't do anything, it's a goal. He's not going to do anything. Just don't do anything. Just leave it. Don't touch Stuff it. Is, is I it? would say it might be the worst, the worst moment where a goal wasn't scored in history it was not the worst but it is different no no right, well, you're absolutely right well physics was the winner um, let's go for Sheffield uh, United continuing to be absolutely dreadful um, I mean let's Leicester Leicester chipping away an inevitable win I mean at 2-1 you think Sheffield United are <laughs> clearly trying everything they can but um, they are doomed aren't they yeah, oh, I, 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 I said they were going to stay up. That's... <laughs> that's uh, like three weeks ago, I said they're going to stay, still, they're going to stay up. That's okay. they've had all those tough games. But now they've played against that. teams around them and they've been absolutely awful. They've been <laughs> atrocious. And you can't complain about scoring goals, Chris Wilder, if you're then going to leave your guy, your £20 million finisher, on the bench. You can't no. do it. There you go. And also, by the way, can we talk about that, that last, the, the winning goal, the Vardy goal in the last minute? I don't understand why the Sheffield United defender doesn't just wipe him out 30 yards from goal and take the red card. Mm. Well, yeah. um, you know, decision-making like like Messi. I mean, if only he had the, yeah. the ABH. I will, I will say, you know, find someone who loves you as much as Jamie Vardy loves scoring goals. His face, the, the, the pure... You know, the glee, and I appreciate it's the last it's the last minute winner against, you know, the rival team of his boyhood club, but you know, the the eyes are gone, the ecstasy, you know, it's full yeah. uh, eighty two Italy. It's I can't wait. I cannot wait to see what 
of all people, what Jamie Vardy replaces goal scoring with when he finishes football. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, is that going to look like? What energy is he going to bring there? Oh, that is. Yeah. <laughs> what Jamie did next? Oh, that is going to be <laughs> delicious. Um, uh, West Brom, I kind of felt a bit sorry for them. The sending off completely uh, changed the game for them. Zaha coming back at, right, at just exactly the wrong time. I mean, I think they could probably have dragged it out if they'd have back Shuai and Ben Teke up front, but uh, but. Wolf was the difference. Uh, and Mark, did you catch it? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Um, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, I, think, I mean, uh, five ones. Well, they were unlucky. Fair, it was, it, yeah, yeah, it was. It was one of those where they were in the game and then they weren't. And I think it, it, it sort of speaks volumes. If Benteke scoring two past you, you know, you know, it's been a tough one. Um, <laughs> West Brom. I, st- I still think West Brom. They're going to be. They're going to be competitive. There's, there's a, they're going to give themselves a chance of staying up. Yeah, I think um, right. But I, I, I just think they can hopefully not take take it too hard, that result. Because Palace are good going forward. And once you go down to 10 men against the likes of, you know, like you say, Zaha and that extra yeah. space for him, very difficult to do anything then. Yeah, Gareth, did you... Uh, he, he, what's, is it Eze? Easy? What, do you, yes, what do we call Eze. him? Wow. He was, he's, a, he's a useful little talent as well that he's uh, just probably going to get better and better. Yeah, and he, you know, he's proof to almost sort of back up uh, you know, Mark's point about you know, Sheffield United not harnessing their their big purchases. You know, he came up from the championship, and you know, he's a, a you know a, a new talent and, and one that hadn't established himself. And you know, Hodgson has brought him along relatively quickly, and he's found a way. People assumed he was going to be a replacement for Zaha, and um, it turns out, you know, they can play together. Yeah, um, and he's come in instead of you know more. Uh, you know, less luminous lights like uh, Townsend and, and AU, and I think you know it's 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 been a mastery. His dribbling is amazing. He he has that sort of young, fearless directness which you have when you're like you know full YOLO. Doesn't matter. I'm young. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to have this. And yeah, you know, he he he's really really exciting to watch. I think that um, he's inevitable. He is inevitable. You know, uh, I'm bringing up all the uh, all, all the youth phrases today. Just yeah. to... I, I, I thought that he, they might be bringing him in to replace Zaha, and mm. I think for a while there that that could have happened. Um, sure. But yeah, you're right. They, they play so well together. Ez is just someone. He was great for QPR, and he's just yeah. he's got it all. And also, I didn't know he had this really, but the the set pieces, he's got them in the bag as well. The free kick was it last week or the week before? Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's really worth saying that, uh, you know, this is currently shaping up statistically to be Zahar's best season in the Premier League. So, you know, maybe being spurred on by having another player to, you know, of potentially equal quality to play with is, is going to be a good thing for him as well. Yeah, competition and a foil. I think we've said that that he, he always needs, doesn't he? Needs someone alongside him that's that's doing that. I remember when Balassi was there and you mm. just just so much fun watching Palace because they just they just attack teams from, from everywhere and, and all kinds of angles. Um last game for us to cover, gents. Uh I'd uh, love to get your thoughts on Southampton. They still managed to find a way to win. I, I, Brighton have been dreadfully unlucky for a few weeks, but are we just saying that because they keep losing or is it, you know, genuinely, I think, are they good enough to be able to stay up, Mark? I think they're really good. I, I don't, I, I, whenever I watch them, which is every single game, I always come away from it thinking they could have got something there. Um, and even against the big side, you know, at the start of the season, it was United and Chelsea and it's sort of continued. I think Potter's got something really good at that club and, 
it can't just be bad luck though, can it? I don't know what it is. Something isn't quite clicking. They don't have someone who can reliably score goals. We thought that might have been Mopé at the start of the season. Um, he's had could a bit still of a... Be Welbeck. Welbeck could come through for them. Could still be Welbeck. He's, he's getting yeah, fitter. Yeah. yeah, he's looking sharp. Yeah, and I really like Welbeck. And, yeah. uh, but again, he's a, he's a player like Kane that we know is going to get an injury at some point. So you, you need strikers, you know this, Martin, you need strikers who you know they're going to play 35 games a season. Yeah. Um, and I think they're just struggling with that at the minute. Again, last night, I thought they were they were good. I think they've got some outstanding players on that side. I think Basuma is someone who could play at the top, top level, Champions League sort of level. Um, yeah, I just think they're, I don't know what it is. Something isn't quite clicking, but they're really close to having a really good side. And I don't really know, <laughs> that's my analysis. I've got nothing I, else to offer. I don't I'm know gonna, what it is. <laughs> I'm going to drop a hard disagree here. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I think that Brighton are actually, um, they flatter to deceive. So every game you watch, you know, they're likable uh, because they, they play fairly good football and, you know, they're, they're that sort of unassuming, quite interesting team. But um, And I think part of the reason why people like them is that everyone's team beats them. You know, they, they've won one game at home. <laughs> since There's no threat. Yeah, there is no threat. And they always look in games until they're not. But, you know, inevitably at the end of each each week, they're not in the game. They've lost the game. And, you know, it's... It's a systemic issue now over a year. Um, relying on players like Welbeck, you're essentially dooming yourself when you say that you know he'll get an injury soon. It's like he'll get an injury soon in this game. You know, it's it's yeah. it's rare. He finishes one and no, that's Lalana. That's oh, that's what's troubling. Lalana, you poor guy, but he's like you know he's in his early thirties now. He he can't complete a game. He hasn't shown his ability to do that for, for years and years. And you bring him in as your, well, this guy is going to really change our fortunes in midfield. It, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, I, you know, I like Brighton. I want them to do well, but I honestly think that, you know, the most comparable thing is what we were probably saying a year ago about, about Bournemouth, where everyone was like, oh, yeah, but Bournemouth are good. They'll turn it around. They'll, they'll get some wins that, you know, they have better. No, quality. There's more substance to Brighton. I think, come on, man, but Bournemouth, they were just they were flaky last season. I don't I don't see Brighton as being flaky. I Bright, cannot wait. We just discussed how Brighton, Brighton flaky in every game. Yeah, I mean, I think Gareth's got a point here, Mark. I do. Uh, I think I think Bournemouth Bournemouth did have the players, but it's quite it's quite easy for the rot to set in mentally and and just with injuries. And I think that you know that's what we're seeing again. But um, but you know I might be wrong. I, it has been. I, I don't see that as known. rot at the minute. And also. By the way, they're three points off Arsenal. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, let's not use Arsenal as a yardstick for anything this season. <laughs> All right, four points off Leeds then. Come on, they're not far off. They're going to win the league. <laughs> we will come back to that, surely. Um, uh, gents, can I ask you what you're up to before we shoot off? Uh, Mark, uh, can we find you on Football 365 this week? Uh, football 365 stuff. Yeah, Football yep. 365, if you uh, go across their socials. Uh, we've got a new show. Um, call uh, with football index uh, called fives to watch. Oh, that was on that will start on Tuesday, and then we've got our regular big weekend on Thursdays. Cool. Uh, so yeah, then tune into that if you can, and if you can't, forget about it. Lovely stuff. Uh, are we going to catch you before Christmas? I, I hope you, we, you still be available. I'll, I'll check in with you, but um, but yeah, are you heading back up to the to the Midlands for Christmas? Back up to Derby for Christmas. Lovely. Yes, but, uh, Lovely I'll be around, mate. It's all remote these days, isn't it? All yeah, remote yeah. these days. Granddad, we can still communicate. <laughs> Gareth, uh, what's what's been moving and shaking in the music world? 
Uh, it's the desperate dash pre-Christmas to get everything done before. <laughs> Dimitri Street is a very lazy place, and it takes a whole month off at Christmas. So everyone panics around about now, realizing they've got a lot to do before they uh, batten down the hatches for for a few weeks. So we're in the eye of the storm, and you know, like Mark's saying, it's Zoom everything, but soon to have a well-deserved break. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, gents, uh, great to speak to you both. Hopefully, I'll catch up with you again in the next week or so. Uh, that was the whistleblowers. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.